This is Dollars and Sensibility with Tom Stone. And we're gonna talk about what you really want. And at the end of the day, how to get what you really want is to understand money. Guild Mortgage, NMLS number 3274, Tom Stone, NMLS number 257849. The information contained in these podcasts are for educational purposes only and do not necessarily express the opinions of Guild Mortgage. So welcome to another episode of Dollars and Sensibility. Today, I just got back from walking my spec house over in Midway, the top of Pine Canyon Road. It's in the thing called Huntley Woods subdivision, right next to the golf course, right next to the Homestead Golf Course. Has a view of Snake Creek Canyon and Wilson Peak. It's right there again on the golf course. You got that in Lime Canyon. Views to the die for, no question about it. It's just amazing. You sit there and go, wow, this is such an amazing spot. That's why I bought it. That's why I thought, you know what? Man, someone's going to want to live here. Someone's going to buy this from me, right? That's why you do a spec house. And by the way, someone asked me the other day, hey, you say spec house. What does that mean? And I thought, oh, shoot, I'm, I got I, this lingo I threw out there. A spec house is speculation. It literally is to speculate that something will work out. And so you gamble. Basically, it's gambling. But you're going to build a spec, a spec house, build a home. With the assumption that the location and the floor plan and the colors and such that I'm picking out will be something that someone else will want and will pay money for it. Is there a risk to that? Yep, sure is. That's why a lot of people don't do them. That's why sometimes the banks are nervous to do them. That's why the banks require a larger down payment to do them. Because lots of things in lots of places are worried about speculative endeavors. Understandably, right? Well, I live by a saying, and this saying will be on my epitaph. At least I've asked my family to put it there. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. How many times have you and I ever heard someone when you say, hey, you give advice, hey, have you thought about doing this? I did that. Yeah, I've done that. It didn't work. And you go, okay, let's see. I don't have any more advice for them. And then you say, well, can you show me? And you find out there's just a little tweak, a little nuance, a little differentiation, maybe larger than others, maybe smaller than other times, that people have these little nuances that, oh, oh, you mean that? Oh, you mean to say it this way or to say it that way? And all of a sudden, it changes everything. When someone's doing a business, it's literally they tweak. It's called A-B testing, where you're literally doing A-B, and you might change the color of your website page. You might change the font. You might put it on a Tuesday instead of a Thursday. You might, and I keep going down the list, and all of a sudden, boom, it hits. All of a sudden, people are on there saying, I want to buy your product. I want your services. And it was this little nuance. It's like, well, I did put it on social media, and it didn't work. I did put it in the ads, and it didn't and it didn't work. I put an ad in the paper, and it didn't work. Well, there's a lot of variables to that. So it's not what you say. It's how you say it. And it's not what you do. It's how you do it. And at the end of the day, how you do it changes as well. So your success in uh, 2010 is maybe not going to work and likely not going to work in 2023. I've seen that with people who are really rich at one time and not at others. When they hit it just right, had perfect timing, right? And they applied the same process once again. It didn't work. It didn't have the right variables to it. So I think it's also important to understand that, well, I guess at the end of the day, what, where I'm going with this is certainly... Uh, timing is critical, but not to confuse it with waiting. 
So I always say waiting is not an investment strategy. I will say, though, that most people I know, that is their investment strategy. And they hope that it'll work out. They wish, let me just say that he'll wish it will work out. And hoping and wishing are two different things. Hope has action. Wishing usually does not. Oh, I just hope it'll work out. That's a wish, by the way, even though they say hope. And so you sit there and say, all right, how do I make something work? Well, again, I just came back from my speculative endeavor on Midway's uh, Pine Canyon Road. Well, what is the, and you know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. Well, first of all, the big part, part of that is I decided back in the day, a year ago, actually, July of last year, to do this. And I thought to myself, well, should I wait and see what happens? Well, one thing about waiting on a spec house is it takes... It took me five, let's see, six months to get through all the building process, all of the permits and waiting. There's some stuff that wasn't completed yet, so it's longer than normal, but I didn't know it. When I bought the lot, they didn't finish, didn't have some of the stuff finished that they said was finished or would be finished soon, and it, and it wasn't. So I had to wait. Of course, we had a really big winter also. So we said, well, we don't want to build during, you know, three, four feet of snow. Okay, so we had to wait on that. But we we're moving forward the whole time. We're moving forward saying, okay, we're, we like this idea. We're reading all of the information that's uh, economic data. We're looking at what's going on. We're looking at lumber prices. We're talking. I also know there's some areas I'm really good at and some areas I am not. And I'm probably okay. Like I trust myself to build a nice house. Not not myself, my hands, but pick a plan and do that right. Well, I am um, at some advice and very little encouragement because I didn't need any. We hired Midway Design. You've heard Bree and her team on another podcast. Critical, man. Just critical. If you're going to do a spec house, if you're going to build a house, hire a designer. Don't even think it's a waste of time. It's the best thing you could ever do. Hire a good designer. I guess the same thing. It's not who you hire. It's that you hire someone well, right? So hire hire somebody. Again, Bree is one of those that I would recommend. Just they know the colors. They, they know what things go together. They know They know construction. So that's a big piece. And then, of course, hiring Tate Berg. So I'm into this. Uh, we dug a hole in March. Wow. On time. Exactly. He's got this perfect timing. Communication is phenomenal. We give him the highest regard for sure. My other buddy, Tyler Farrell, he's the top of the top. You know, no one's no one's better than him. I'm pretty lucky to work with people like these guys. So I don't know how to do what they do or I, I know what they do, but I don't know how to do it like they do. You hire people. You get around those kind of people. That money comes back well in return. The DIY mindset, do it yourself. There's a time and place for that, for sure. It isn't when you come to a spec house. It isn't when you're talk, talking about building a home that you would have some resale value to it. I'm sorry. Bless your heart. I know you think and all your friends tell you you're great, but that's not who you want to have telling us great. You want to hire people to know what they're doing. It's worth the money. So Waiting. Did we wait? No, we moved forward. I had to wait on some snow. I had to wait and and see and make sure everyone can do their job through the city and planning and all this kind of stuff. Yes, there's a process. But waiting is not an investment strategy. And the other thing that's important to understand is that waiting and timing are not synonyms. So how does someone predict timing? Well... Good question. People are really good at talking about their timing after the fact, right? 
It's those who are before it that say, you know, do I have good timing? Well, we'll have to wait and see. So here I am building a spec house in 2023. Is that a good idea? I think so. And I can tell you why. I don't know, though, until someone actually buys it. Now, why do I like this? Well, it's a 12-month build. It's going to take 12 months. I got 12 months to market this thing. And by the way, well, we'll keep going down for the exit strategy and the backup plans. So I got 12 months to start marketing this thing. I thought it'd be really a strong time here in April, May, June, July, when the, the colors are just popping. We got the spring flowers and all that kind of stuff. The mountains are gorgeous. And just make sure it's out there on social media. Talk about it. Make sure people can see it. Because the problem, and the most amazing thing in the problem with this space is this lot is not in a place that people can see a lot. They don't even know it's there, which is the perfect place to have a spec house that someone wants to buy, but you have to tell them about it, right? So people don't drive past this and see it. It's like, where is it? Oh, oh, it's over there. Well, it's the perfect house that someone would want to buy. So what do you do with that? Well, you got to get the word out. So I have a friend of mine. He's putting on the MLS for me. A lot of people would list it with a realtor. This list price is $2.4 million, $2 million Usually realtors get paid 6%, by the way, 3% for the listing agent and 3% for the buyer's agent. So you take two, uh, $2,399,000 times it by 6%, that's $143,940. That's a lot of money. That might be just my profit margin. I don't know. Each one's going to get somewhere in the $72,000 range at a 3% spread on both sides. Yeah, I definitely am a believer in realtors. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying that there's not a place in space for a realtor. I just know that if my friend will put on the MLS for me and I do some social media marketing, I put a sign out front, I put it on all this, on the Zillows and the Trulias and the, so forth, then I can get the same listing information out there as maybe a listing agent could. Now, I'm also telling all of my buyer's agent friends, hey, I've got this spec for sale. Here's what it looks like. Here's the elevations. Here's the floor plan. Love to have you sell it. Would I pay someone 3% to sell it? Absolutely. Do I want to pay someone 3% to list it? No, not right now. I don't. I'm not going to. I'm in the business, so I'll probably have an edge. But that's one thing I'm doing is like, okay, there's 72000 possibly. At the end of the day, if I can't do anything about it, I think someone can bring a value to me, then I might consider it. But at this point, I do hope I can sell it on my own, you know, even without a realtor, because either the the buyer or myself could save that money. But again, I am not saying a realtor is not has a value. But in this particular circumstance, I've been around enough. I know enough. I know enough people. I have someone that works social media for me that I'm just going to do it on my own for the first little while and assume and hope that I'm going to. I said hope, not wish, by the way, that'll work. So that's one piece. But because you got to get out there. So back to this. I built a spec and it didn't sell kind of a thing. Well, how did you market it? What kind of effort did you put in? What was your messaging? What did it look like? Did your elevations and your floor plan and your write-up look good? Was it appealing? Was it out there enough to, uh, to the right people? You know, a $2.4 million price tag that does price out a certain part of the population and includes others. This house is actually a perfect second home. So who can afford a second home that's $2.4 million? Somebody can. There's a lot of somebodies, just maybe not the ones that we know on a day-to-day -day basis. So how do we get in front of them? Now, this would be a perfect grandma-grandpa house, too. It really is. It's just phenomenal. It's got four-bedroom suites. It's got a loft for the grandkids. 
It's got a four-car garage. I said four, and one of the garages is, is an RV, so it's really tall and goes 35 feet deep. So you can put your RV in there, your boat, your side-by-side, -side, all those things. So it's really – that's why it's a second home too. So to appeal on those uh, awesome things, also talking about how cool it is. Now, when you do a spec house, there's got to be – when they leave it and they go and tell their friend about it and they're excited about it, there's got to be some sort of – what's the first thing they're going to say? They're going to say, man, the construction was really high quality. I hope they certainly will say that, and I've made a point of that, but that's usually not the wow factor. What is the wow factor that they say, oh, my goodness? And if it's a guy that loves the garages that needs space, that might be his wow factor. Would it be the 22-foot ceilings and the rock fireplace that goes clear to the top? Oh, you should see this fireplace. We have a, an office in the front there that has a nine-foot window, literally floor-to-ceiling window of this view of Wilson Peak and Snake Creek Canyon. They might say, you should see this office. This window is amazing. Grandma and grandpa might say, oh, we love this bunk room. So the grandkids can come sleep over. I can picture it now, right? What are the wow factors? What are the little things that they say, oh, this has a blantry. The blantry is that separate section of the kitchen that's kind of hidden that you do all your work. So your kitchen all stays, uh, kitchen stays pretty. It's, it's really awesome blantry, by the way. And, and by the way, Andy Pierce, who's my partner on this, and that's another reason that kind of makes me feel like this is good timing. Andy Pierce, Pierce Cabinet is going to be doing my cabinets. He does high quality stuff. He knows what he's talking about. He's been in the business since he was, I think, eight. And I'm not joking about that. I think he's been in the business since he was eight. Literally working the shop floor after elementary school all the way up. He knows what he's talking about. Again, back to high quality individuals. He knows what we're talking about. Let them do their jobs. That's what happens. So timing and waiting. Well, I talked to all these people. What do you think? And what do you do? And then you just put it out there and you say, all right, let's do it. Now I'm going to jump forward and say, but what if, dot, dot, dot. But what if, excuse me, but what if is exactly what keeps you and I from doing anything? Because there's always a but what if. But what if it doesn't work out? But what if someone doesn't buy it? But what if prices go up? But what if, but what if, but what if, right? By the way, one of my but what ifs is, man, I have perfect timing. Guess what? Lumber packages are dropped dramatically. They said it was 46 bucks a sheet, but last year I'm paying 12. Isn't that awesome? Now I'm paying an eight or seven or 8% interest rate on my construction loan. That's too bad. But can you see how there's just money is always multifaceted. That's another thing. There's money is not one plus one equals two. It's so many different numbers and values and variables that come into it. And to, you have to just kind of hope a little bit, but also assume a little bit. And usually when one goes up, the other one goes down. That's another factor. The rates have gone up, but lumber's gone down. Cool. So which one's going to be cheaper? Well, do the math. If you manage your, your construction loan appropriately, where the draws are more of a once a week, excuse me, I said the wrong, once a month instead of once a week or whatever it is, or they just get used to it, you don't have to pay interest for 30 days on that money. And then net 30 is what it's called, and that's normal. You're not putting someone out because you do want to make sure you get your people paid. That's the reason they come back because I want to do another one after this. So back to my exit strategy or my security, but what if? My but what if is, okay, what if we do finish this house? It's, oh, it's gorgeous. People love it. It's amazing, but the economy has put them in a spot where I got to sell my house first. Or my investments that I did have aren't doing as well as they once were. I, I was going to use that, now I can't. I qualified before, but with interest rates going up, I don't qualify anymore. Uh, my job was really hot, but now it's not. Yep, there's all those values and value variables. Probably, it's probably less of a good time in 2023 than in 2021. That, that's a fact, right? So going backwards, by the way, is never a mentality. 
you can say in 2021 what worked. And by the way, about everything worked in 2021. It just takes more work now in 2023. You have to be more on top of it. You have to be one that knows more information to make success out of this. But here we go. So I'm sitting on a house and in and it's finished. What do I do? Well, I have some variables. I have some options. I certainly could sell it for cost. My price, I've got, you know, if I have to go down on my price, I can and will. There's maybe a point where I say I'm not going below this, but if it's been sitting and I can't sell it for some period of time, you might or I might consider lowering my price and lowering it down to, I think, a very reasonable number to a break-even situation. You say, oh, you wouldn't make any money. That's true, but you learned a lot of lessons and I've got a next one to go on. I've, I've said in this mentality, if I can get four out of five over the next five, six years, I feel like that's a win. So if I lose on one, but I learn some life lessons, apply it to the next one, then that's okay. That's another thing that I've learned is that I just make sure my pluses outweigh my minuses at the end of the day. If I have a minus, I don't sit and wallow and worry about it and sit and think and guys say, oh my goodness, it didn't work out. I'll say, well, okay, I'm going to keep moving forward. And on the next one, I'm not going to do that again. That's for sure. And then when I say that and see that and feel that, I can go forward saying the next one is going to work. I just have more pluses than I do minuses. And my minuses, I put into the tuition of life jar. I paid money or I lost money. And in that particular circumstance and situation, I literally put up his education and I say, all right, how do I move forward from here? That's how I bought the mortgage uh, company that I, or it, job that I have. That's how I've done the commercial real estate. That's how I've done other things I've done. You just kind of say, well, what have I learned and move forward with it, right? And that's the process. So I could reduce my sales price down to a, a, a break even situation. And I think someone would go, this is a screaming deal. I can't, I can't pass it up. Not going to do that, but that's a worst case scenario. And I learned a lot. I honestly think that's a value. Secondly, I can rent it. Now, do you want to rent it? No, I want to sell it. That's the whole point. But this house is so phenomenal. So it's an incredible place that someone's going to rent it. Now, I might rent it for less than what my debt is, but I can handle that. I put myself in a financial situation with some cash reserves and some other equity situations and income producing properties. I just put it into a portfolio and it just, it might be a loss for a while. But yeah, I'm losing, if that happens, yeah, you lose money for a month or a year or two even, uh, but it's a tax deduction. I'm sorry, that's a, that's not a bad thing. It's a tax deduction and you wait out the, the market. And you might have this awesome house that in 2023 didn't work out, but it might be fantastic in 24, 25 or 26. And also you're like, hey, the market's come back. Let's put it back for sale again. You know, the lease is going to be up this time. Let's sell it then. You just put it in your portfolio. You have your rents. Some properties make a lot of income. Some properties not as much as others. But you look at it as a whole. You don't look at it as an individual thing. So, you know, a lot of people look at one thing in one time and they just get so focused on it and it's so negative. It's like even in life, when you think about it, if you have a, if you have a bad day, it's because one person said one bad thing to you. You had four other good things that happened the same day. You're like, wait a minute. How come? And I, I've done this. I'm guilty too. But, you know, someone says, hey, we don't think you did a good job as, as we think you should have. And you're like, oh, that makes me feel terrible. I had a terrible day. This guy ruined my day. And four of the people tell you, yeah, thanks for all you did for me. I appreciate all your, your hard work. And that one negative just really is your focus. That's a really common, normal thing to happen. It's also why we don't move forward. It's also why we don't reap the benefits of life financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, because we get so caught up in the, the negative. Same thing here. Well, if I have a property that for a period of time, I lose Let's say I lose two or three grand a month on renting it out from my debt service compared to my rent. And I don't know if I will or not. Let's just say I do. Let's, let's say it's 2,500 bucks. That's 30 grand a year. 
All right. So if I had spent 30 grand a year to make up loss rents on this particular property for, you know, 24 to 25, that's 60 grand, which is by the way, a complete tax, um, write-off as a tax write-off. So really that that's a whole write-off that's $60,000 of income that I wouldn't have to report because it was a loss. And this is a little too elementary, but basically, and if I'm in a call between state and federal, I'm at a 40% tax bracket. That's an average. That's $24,000 of tax I don't have to pay. So that's $60,000 that I just lost in rents went down to 36,000. That's a lot. That's not too bad. And then if my price went from, I want 2.4 right now and I could only get 2 million, let's just say, because it's tough. And I waited a year or two and I got 2.4 again. So I spent 36,000 to make 400,000. It's pretty good math. That's timing versus waiting. Wait for it to happen to be just right. Let's just wait. No, you go forward. You understand some things. Obviously, tuition of life has given me a lot of insights that I can go, well, there's a lot of variables. Math, financial math is not one plus one equals two. It's like I just showed you. That depends. You got some uh, variables to look at. You got some different things. I also have a partner. We're going to split it. So we're splitting the, the risk. Yeah, we're splitting the profit, but I like the fact that we can split the risk. And I also like that my friend can benefit. So that's what we're just going to keep doing. I'm going to do it with him. I don't care. I'm not worried about making twice as much. I like the fact that we can be secure and safe together as a partner and we can move forward. So I have a partner also just to secure and be, to be secure and safe in this process so that we bear the burden of any sort of negativity or loss for a period of time, but also reap the benefit for when it comes. And you can see over the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, ups and downs, but there's been a lot more ups than downs. And yes, people who got hurt in 2008 can say, well, you got to know, but what if I, I would dare say 2008 is, has such an unlikeliness of happening again for all the things that are in place now that weren't back then. But yeah, even if they did, it did last for 18 months. If you can last 18 months, you're gonna make it through just fine. It was ones that couldn't last for 18 months. So make sure you can last for those 18 months. So there you go. Timing versus waiting, making sure what you say and how you say it, what you do and how you do it. Don't get stuck. And I might add this, don't think you're that smart. Now, you can be that experienced. You can have that much understanding. But the minute you think you're too smart or you're the smartest, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You can understand things. You can see where people are coming from. You can read data. Uh, you can say, my experiences have taught me this, have shown me this. But again, people can say, my experiences have taught me to be scared. That one's not really good. No, they can be cautious or saying, oh, that didn't work. I'm going to try it differently. But whenever someone says my experiences and they don't say it made me scared, but they tell, I have said never that again. I was oh, geez, that was just whatever. Yeah, let's not go in business with them. Let's not go in business with them. You want to go in business with people. And I'm talking about people buying your product too, who see the value of it to see what you put into it. Oh, I got to add this too. So I'm probably not going to take my first offer no matter what. I mean, if it's a full price offer, even then I probably won't. I don't know. It depends. It's just because that first go, you're so excited. You just get a little nervous. And then as you get closer, like, should I, should I, should I, you get nervous. I'm just telling you, if you got a really good product, which I do this spec house, I dare, I would dare someone to tell me there's a better one out there for the price, for the value. And someone might be looking for a golf membership in red ledges. Okay, fine. That's not gonna be the same thing. But if you want to have 
the views. You want to have the quiet. You want to have a cul-de-sac. You want to have the quality. You want to have a house plan and, and garages and just the whole picture next to the golf course. Gosh, this one is just it. And I just feel confident in that. So if I had a little less of a product, maybe not as confident, but I'm exceptionally confident in this. If I take my first offer, especially if it's an offer contingent upon, you know, contingent upon the sale of their home, contingent upon something. And in fact, I got to throw this out there. I have a good friend of mine that just put a spec house up and he had a situation where the person didn't follow through with what they said. So they're stuck in a sense, trying to get back out of it. And his advice to me was, I should have verified. And, and by the way, what I mean by that is you verify when someone's going to buy your house, buy your product, take your services, particularly a house, you want to verify. If they say they're a cash buyer, you verify with bank statements, with their stockbroker, with their bank account. They have the money. Want to see it. That's not intrusive. Hey, I'm your cash buyer. I want to make sure you are. Where's the money coming from? Cool. Thank you. If they're going to get a loan, you want to have not only a pre-qualification letter, you want to have them go through it. If the, the builders that are the more of the tract house, even if you go to another lender, do you make they make you go through their lender to make sure you are actually qualified. Why would it be any different at a two or three or four or five million dollar house? I know that it kind of they might give you a little more testy about it, but I think if you explain yourself, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. If you say, hey, look, you know, I've had a situation where there was some fraud in the past. <clears throat> and I realize that you're probably an upstanding citizen, but this is why, and, and again, I've always said this, this is why I have contracts with my friends. This is why I do very detailed contracts with my friends because I trust them so much that we don't want to have a misunderstanding. We don't want to have a situation that we say, oh, I thought this and I thought that. doesn't mean someone's dishonest or lying. It just means there's misunderstanding. So it's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's not what you do. It's how you do it in marketing, in relationships, in contracts. It's, but what if actually works in your favor more times than it doesn't, as long as you're prepared, as long as you're prepared for sure. And moving forward, waiting is not an investment strategy. Timing is an understanding timing, but timing is a experiential thing and it happens in Timing happens in real time. Timing has to be <laughs> during the timing. It has to be happening while it happens. You can't be waiting and then something happens and then you move forward. That's where people get stuck. There is somebody I know who did that because it just had perfect timing. You just never know. There's that random person that says it worked for me, but it's gonna. It's not going to work the next time and it's not something that you can put into a, a spreadsheet and a strategy and use. It's just total luck. It's going to happen. Some, like I said, some people I know that are rich happened because they had good timing. It just happened to be, I'm going to start this now. And then just happened to be exiting the, the situation at the right time. It can happen. But that's not something you can happen and do over and over and over again. That's not for the long term. So come talk to me. And it might be, you might not be doing a spec house. I'm using the spec house as an example. It might be a spec house, by the way. I've had someone call that listened to the podcast and said, I'm doing some spec houses. What do you think? And let's talk. So it might be that, but I'm even talking your first home. Same mentality. Waiting is not a strategy. Waiting is not a strategy. Timing is. And timing is almost, well, especially when you buy your first home, it's now. It's always now. Now to prepare. Now to look for it. See where it is. You learn some nuances. And don't worry about rates. I'm moving forward doing this in a 7 and 8% market. Yeah. But I just got lumber prices down. I got um, Tate Berg, who gave me a, a great deal on, on what he's doing. I, I have just some, some other variables that I'm doing 
that I think are going to save me money. I think I bought the lot at a good time. Is a lot worth more than I'm paying for it? Well, the lots around me that are getting relisted are for another 100 to 150 grand more than they paid. I haven't sold yet, but that's because of where we're at in the market. But yeah, there's an established value that there's only so much land in the world, by the way. There's only so much land in Midway. There's only so much land in Heber. And you can pick your own town. There's only so much. And so it's a commodity that it's hard to come by. So make sure you feel that way about your product. Make sure you feel good about where you're going with it. And that will help with your timing. Because if you do things in a nervous and scared way, you're going to look back and say, that didn't work out for me. And you'll be the ones that says, I tried it and it didn't work. You got to try it and you got to work it. And you got to understand how these things work. Dollars and sensibility. Go apply with Tom.com. 654-99, excuse me, 435-654-9979. T-Stone at guildmortgage.net. There's no excuses. Come chat with me. Let's talk. Let's get you having personal wealth through real estate. I can teach you. I can show you. Talk soon. This is Dollars and Sensibility, and I'm Tom Stone. Thank you for listening, and thanks for getting real with me. So next step is to answer your questions. Come see me, Guild Mortgage, 435-654-9979, or goapplastom.com.